Sex Communication, a podcast of explicit audio and frank conversation. How do we talk about sex? How do we communicate during sex? Well, if you're here now, then you're going to find out. My name is Brianne McGuire, and each week I share an uncensored peek into the things we don't discuss. Sex. 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 I can't say the word sex. Sexy, sexy, sex stuff. Sex. Hello and welcome to episode 129. You may remember back in July, I did a whole slew of episodes in support of the Black Sex Worker Collective and a big fundraising event that they were going to have. And one of the things I did in support of that event was to interview a lot of the performers who were going to be participating in their fundraiser. So today's interview is one of the conversations that were recorded during that time, but at a personal request of my guest, um, the interview was not published. There were some issues with anonymity and just preserving her privacy, which I absolutely respect as I do with every guest on this show. And so this episode is publishing now. My guest today is one of the founding members of the Berlin Strippers Collective, which is different than the Black Sex Workers Collective, two different collectives. And anyway, a funny thing about this episode, this conversation was the first one that I recorded and it's <laughs> wound up being the last one published, but um, that happens sometimes. But this conversation is uh, actually one of my favorites kind of out of all the interviews, not just the interviews done for that event. Um, and certainly the issues facing sex workers have not really changed from now since that time, though, I mean, it was just a few months ago, but you know, there were a lot of things that came up in our conversation that informed a lot of the things that I asked or topics that I brought up in the subsequent interviews that I did. So it's, I imagine it must be strange as a listener, if you did listen to those episodes already, and then to hear me having this conversation with her, like, this is kind of like the origin of some of those themes. Um, she is not the the first sex worker that I've spoken with for the show, but just, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it was the focus on activism um, that kind of made it different from the other interviews and conversations that I've had, but I don't know. She was just very refreshing to talk to, and it's always great to get this global perspective. Um, my guest is originally from Italy, but she lives in Berlin, which is how she became a part of the formation of the Berlin Strippers Collective. So she has those those two experiences to compare. And, you know, certainly being over here in the States, it's always good to hear anybody's point of view that's living anyplace else. Um, so I am happy for that. And it, it was also a funny thing, too, speaking with somebody living in Berlin that works in the sex industry, and she actually refers to herself as vanilla. Um, but <laughs> that may be up for debate. I'll leave that to you once you you hear that portion of the conversation. But anyway, I don't want to give too much away. So let's just get right into it. Here we go. All right. So we're trying this again. We've had some technical difficulties. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Can you just tell me a little bit about yourself? <laughs> sure. I'm one of the founding members of the Berlin Strippers Collective. Um, we are a newborn collective. We started in November. and um, some colleagues of mine and I decided to create this collective after we experienced a lot of injustice at work. So we wanted to create a platform where we could organize our own events uh, on one side for exploring the creative side 
But also on the other side, we want to create our events for creating an alternative source of income. Mm-hmm. And our final goal is to get more and more independent on strip club managers that are usually assholes or anyways, they don't treat you well, they explode you. So yeah, we are, our collective is trying to grow independent on strip club managers. How many uh, members do you have? Uh, It's always changing, (laughs) more or less 15, Mm. Uh, but some, some colleagues come, some others go. So yeah. And we've spoke a little bit um, offline, or rather online, but in a failed <laughs> tech setting. Um, so you were saying in, in Berlin that uh, stripping isn't necessarily classified as sex work, that you're just, you're like a freelance dancer, correct? Uh, yeah. So because uh, Germany is a federal government uh, and every region adopted its own legislation and um, sex work is legal in Germany, but in Berlin, for example, stripping is not considered sex work. But if you go to other, for example, in the south, uh, in Bavaria, mm-hmm. even stripping is considered sex work. So you have to uh, register and get what they call the prostitute ID. So you said you're not from Berlin originally, though, right? Uh, no, I'm from Italy and I moved to Berlin five years ago. And did you move to Berlin because of work reasons or did, did it have nothing to do with that? Uh, n- not really. So I think that the city kind of called me because <laughs> uh, I grew up in a village and society there is really conservative and I never really felt, I don't know, at home or comfortable there. And then I went to Berlin on holiday. I fell in love with the city and I just moved there. Gotcha. So how long have you been a stripper? Uh, I started in January 2018. Mm -hmm. It's actually pretty funny how I started because I've always wanted to be a stripper or I've always been fascinated by this idea. Um, Because, you know, when I was younger... And I went to house parties. I was always the girl who ended up dancing on the table, taking off her <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> and my friends didn't actually appreciate it. <laughs> so at some point, I just thought I should actually go to a club where I can even get money for that. Right. <laughs> and yeah, so becoming a stripper was pretty natural for me. <laughs> and is it your main source of income or do you do other types of work as well? Um, I also have a day job. Well, I used to have a day job <laughs> before the pandemic uh, broke out. And I kind of like uh, like so working during the day for a couple of days and then working some night shift. Mm. Uh, I kind of like this variation. And also, unfortunately, with stripping, like any other kind of sex work, um, your income is not stable. You can never predict how much you're going to make every month. And that's why I liked to have the day job that could pay my rent. And then I was sure about that. And then everything I did with stripping was for food or extra or whatever. Right. So can you tell me a bit about, you know, how, how did you learn about sex? 
when you were like, you know, young, when the idea was still kind of new, like, was it something that you learned at home? Or was it something that, you know, is there a good sex education in the schools where you grew up? Oh, <laughs> so no, there is no good sex education in the school where I grew up. And also, my family never approached the topic. Mm. Um, from our region that is really, really conservative and even things like menstruation are a taboo. Um, in general, Italy as a country is conservative and pretty old fashioned. So the sex education we had at school was really embarrassing because mm. at the time they called it um, education to an affectivity. Just the name of it sounds pretty horrible. <laughs> And yeah, that this this girl came to our school and she showed us pictures of penises having an erection and started talking about love and STDs. And I would I don't know, it was just a bit confusing and also embarrassing because if you're if you grow up in a society that tells you that oh sex is is something to be ashamed of, sex is a taboo. It doesn't matter how you're going to learn it. You're going to feel embarrassed anyways, because right. yeah. that's what people around you tell you to be. Yeah. Um, you mentioned in our emails that you were raised Catholic. I was raised Catholic, too. Um, it, it, I imagine, especially in Italy, that that must play a big part in in why it's so taboo and the way that sex education is, is kind of handled. Is that accurate or do you think it's a different reason? Yeah, yeah, I think it's pretty accurate. And um, even um, naked bodies, for example, are a big taboo in Italy. Like if you are at the beach in Italy and you walk around topless, people are going to stare at you. They're going to make comments. Uh, so there is a lot of shame on sexuality and on bodies as well. And that's also why things like sex work, for example, cannot be accepted accepted in Italy. People really don't get it. Because, right. yeah, like, sex in Italy is connected to, you know, you have to be in a relationship, you have to love each other, it has to be monogamous for women more than for men. And, yeah, this is what they teach you. Yeah. So was it a relief to move to Germany and, and you know, live in a place where it's kind of looked at differently? Oh, Yes. The German society is more open about sex mm. and even concerning uh, sex work, for example, uh, of course, there are still some people who don't get it, but even the legal model here is more chilled because uh, you can be a sex worker without ending up in prison. <laughs> and yeah, there are even a lot of, I don't know, um, BDSM clubs here, especially Berlin is really liberal. And so have your views on sex personally, have they shifted as you've gotten older or were you one of those people like when you were young, despite what you were being told and despite what, what was being modeled to you, did you kind of have a curiosity or an openness about sex that you weren't seeing around you? No, when I grew up, I was so brainwashed by these romantic ideals imposed on sexuality that I was really waiting for my charming prince for my first time. Mm. And yeah, and then the older I grew, 
the more I started exploring my sexuality. And I think that the breaking point uh, happened when I was about 17 because I discovered that I liked girls. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started exploring my sexuality with men, but I kind of didn't like it. I got a bit traumatized. <laughs> so I was, I started um, all the standards that society imposed on me. And then I actually waited pretty long before I had sex for the first time with a man. Mm -hmm. I was 21 when I had sex for the first time with a man. And by the time I was so old, well, old, you know, <laughs> that, that um, sex kind of lost its... I don't know, huge importance of the first time. Yeah. Um, but what also changed a lot is um, the fact that when I was younger, I really thought that my opinion during a sexual intercourse didn't matter that much, mm. that it was uh, the man that had to lead the act, that even if, I, uh, even if I didn't like it, I just had to shut up because, oh, in 10 minutes it will be over. Whereas the older I grew, the more I understood that, well, if I just don't like it, I can just say it and I don't need to be submissive all the time. Right. So, I mean, do you identify as a lesbian? Because you, you mentioned discovering that you had an interest in women. Is that like what you consider yourself or you're more flexible with your orientation? So I think I'm more flexible. Um, uh, I'm more into girls, but... I also happen to be in love with men. Uh, it's just that relationships didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. So I would say I'm flexible, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, just given the, the differences and distinctions, like through legislation in Berlin about, you know, stripping versus sex work, do you consider yourself to be a sex worker or you don't consider yourself? Yes, yes. Um, I mean, strippers are sex workers and sex work in like to my definition of sex work is any kind of service that is related to uh, a sexuality. It can be uh, a sexual intercourse, but it can also be just a fantasy. Mm. And anyways, um, I am mainly a stripper, but I also uh, engaged in uh, other sorts of uh, sex work. Uh, so yeah, and I think that strippers who, um, like who want to state that they're not sex workers, uh, well, here we fall again into that kind of hierarchy of some whores are better than others because right. uh, there are many colleagues of mine, many strippers who, um, tell everybody, oh no, I'm not a sex worker. I'm just a dancer. Yeah. Just to draw the line and to feel better than other sex workers. So what does it mean to you to, to be a sex worker? Is it something that you, it's like an empowering endeavor? Is it about, you know, owning your own sexuality, exploring it? Like, what is the draw and, and why is it important to you to identify as a sex worker? Yeah, I think that coming from such a conservative society, uh, sex work was a bit my revenge, I would say. Um, I started reclaiming my sexuality with sex work. I started going against everything society taught me with sex work. Um, and even though I know that this is not valid for everybody, of course, because for many sex workers, 
sex work is, you know, a, a surviving method and it's just a job and that's totally legitimate. For me, it is that, it's a job, it's work, but it's also reclaiming my sexuality and also kind of um, reclaiming money for because of years of unwanted sexual attentions. Mm. You know, I got harassed so many times that at some point I just got sick and tired of it. And I thought, you know what? If you want to touch my ass, you have to pay me 50 euros for that. (laughs) (laughs) Is it something that you are open about with your friends and your family? Or is it something, you know, you kind of just keep it to something that you speak about with other people in your industry? Um, I'm open about it with my friends. And if any of my friend has a problem with it, I guess that our friendship uh, will be over. But on the other side, my family, I don't think I can tell them. They wouldn't understand. Yeah. Yeah, I can I can relate. Um, I was uh, wondering, is it okay if um, you have a manifesto for the the, uh, Berlin Strippers Collective, which is amazing. Uh, And I was wondering, is it something you would like to read? Can I read it? Or would you like me to maybe just include it in the episode notes? Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah, you can can read it if you want. Sure. Okay. So, yeah, again, this is just great. So this is the manifesto for your collective. We are feminist performers. We are workers. We are a collective of strippers. Through dancing, we channel our creativity. Through undressing, we express our freedom. We will not tolerate the restrictive expectations that society has laced us into like a heavy gown. They expect us to wear the corsetry of the eternal double standard, be subservient, be sexy, but remain respectable. We are done struggling to breathe. We reject systemic sexism and song after song we take off those corsets and peel off those expectations, dancing to the rhythm of freedom. We climb higher and higher up the pole, reaching for liberation. Under capitalistic labor relations, all bodies are objects, accomplishing tasks. Your body's just as much as ours. Our task, what we sell, is entertainment. What we do is performing. We make the rules and we enforce the boundaries. It is our choice. We found our way of surviving within this capitalistic jungle. And still, every day is a struggle. Every day we have to justify what we do in addition to just doing it. The problem lies in our society and not in our job. Society doesn't like us. They cast us as victims. They tell us what to do with our bodies. They rant about objectification, having plenty to say about our work, even if they have never spoken to any of us. They lack nuance. If they asked us, they would realize how we have turned our sexualities into self-preservation and into a bond of love for ourselves and our colleagues, into a career. Our bodies and our high heels are our tools. Like the hammer, the pen, the mind, which we use to foster love, to craft a fantasy, but also to create and sustain our community. Women's bodies are constantly sexualized without their consent. But if we capitalize on this, if we take advantage of the system, society judges us. Women and those working as women are regularly harassed and aggressed in the street, receiving attention they never asked for. This is how we rise above. On the stage, we receive attention because we choose it, because we get paid for it. We feel change on the wind. We feel that the world is almost ready to listen to our voices, ready to welcome a group of tough, empowered beings. This is where we come in. We gathered in the red light, and now we step into the daylight. We have decided to take control over our bodies. 
We cast off stereotypes and structures that tell women that they can be either sexual or smart, but never both. We are no victims. We are performers. We are workers. We are students. We are over the top. We are elegant. We are loud. We are quiet. We are friends. We are daughters, sons, mothers, lovers, everything in between. We are human and we are divine. So um, you're one of the founding members of the collective, correct? Yeah. Yes. Did, were you the one who wrote this? Who, how did this manifesto come to be? So, yeah, actually, I drafted it because I'm a writer as well. And then we all worked together on the first draft and then all together we edited it. It, it just it's so I love it. It gives me goosebumps when I read it. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so uh, do you consider yourself an activist with sex work? Uh, yes, this is what our collective is trying to do, actually. Because um, so basically we organize our event also in locations that are usually not really familiar uh, with sex work. For example, we went to cinemas and hosted uh, panel discussions or we organized live drawing sessions. And in this way, we are basically bringing our world and our environment um, even to, pe to people who are not familiar with it. Right. So we are trying to open a discussion on, on stripping and sex work in general and also creating our source of income with our event is also a form of activism because it just gets, a, gets us independent on strip club managers. Right. So in the States, because I, I dabbled in stripping very, like, ugh, I was in college, I guess, and they here, they make you tip the uh the dj and the the uh, the club etc like it's it's ridiculous like you you make this money and you're like oh my god i'm gonna walk away with this money and then by the time you walk out the door you've got such a small percentage of what you earned is it like that in berlin uh no not really germany is really different uh in general in any other environment as well so here for example, you don't have to pay house fees. That is something that you have to do in Anglophone countries. Uh, for example, in the UK, I guess in the US as well, or in Australia, uh, some strippers actually have to pay for working yeah. a house fee. And that's outrageous because, you know, I'm coming to your club, I'm bringing you money. You're taking a percentage and a share on what I do. Why should I pay you on top of that or right. whatever? Uh, in Germany, we don't have to pay this, for example. Um, but yes, clubs still take commissions. Uh, but we don't have to tip the DJ. We also don't have to tip the bar. But if the bartenders are nice and give you free drinks, maybe you do want to tip them. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, the only problem is that here, depending on the club, you don't make as much money as in countries like Australia and the US, I guess. And it's not really elegant to put a two euro coin in our pants. So uh, they tip us with fake money and fake money is not worth much usually. And the club takes uh, a cut. So Whoa, that's uh, wow. I had never even considered that because, yeah, the euro, there's so many that are, are coins and that. Yeah, it's a totally different way. So what happens? They come in and they, is it like a casino where they 
give real money over to the club and then they're given the fake money in exchange? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. So when you're talking about the commission, is is that the the cut that you're talking about? Is that what you mean? Uh, So um, from lap dances, for example, or from drinks, if a customer um, buys us a drink or champagne uh, or buys us a lap dance, uh, then the club takes a cut. Uh, Usually it's 50%. uh, Can be more, can be less. I mean, do they use electronic payments now? Is that part of like modern strip clubs? I'm just wondering, like, you know, do they have a system where they're doing like Apple Pay or, you know, like Venmoing the club or I mean, how how does that work? Um, It depends on the club. Uh, Usually Germans don't really like paying with credit card. It's a historical thing. (laughs) Um, they, They prefer to pay with cash. And then moreover, they usually cheat on taxes, so <laughs> they they prefer cash over credit cards. Right. But that really depends on the club. Right. So, what is your in I in one of our our other conversations, you touched a little bit about um, you know when people find out that you're in the sex industry, that they automatically want to ask you these very personal questions about your sexuality. So, I mean, are you? okay talking about that with me i know this is a a bit of a different circumstance we went into it with you know knowing we were going to talk about that but is that something you're comfortable discussing your own personal um yeah sure you know it always depends on the context because the problem uh with people when they get to know me and they ask me okay what do you do and i actually do quite a lot of things i'm studying i had a day job before the pandemic and I'm stripping as well, and I'm part of the collective. And, you know, I list a sort of occupations I have, and the only thing they hear is stripper or sex worker. Right. And and then you start asking intrusive questions. But, you know, that's a different context because, uh, okay, we don't know each other. We also don't know each other, <laughs> me and you, but I, <laughs> I agreed on taking part in this podcast and I knew what the questions were going to be. Whereas if you meet me in the street and you just start asking me questions, it's just, it just makes me feel uncomfortable. (laughs) I can understand. So can you tell me about what you're into personally? Like what, what really gets you off? What do you like? Do you watch porn? Do you not watch porn? Are you monogamous or poly? I know I'm asking you a lot of questions, but like, can you just describe um, your sexuality? Like how, how you would describe it, how you would summarize it? Oh, sure. Oh, my sexuality is still confused. <laughs> I'm 27 years old. I'm 27 years old, but I still haven't found my way, I would say. Um, first of all, I'm always struggling. Like, uh, do I want to be with a woman? Do I want to be with a man? And then I think I want to be with a woman, but then I end up with a man and it doesn't work again. And I wonder why am I even still trying? But I'm definitely not monogamous. <laughs> um, I I don't really believe in monogamy and I don't think that there is anything bad in feeling sexually attracted or even having a crush on on somebody else and in general I don't like jealousy I don't like my partner to be possessive 
my last relationship, I actually forced myself to be in a monogamous relationship and it just didn't work. Uh, but for the rest, I'm, I'm pretty vanilla. <laughs> and <laughs> this is funny because usually people, when you tell them you're a sex worker, they expect you to be so edgy and to have such a crazy sexual life. But no, I'm so vanilla. <laughs> uh, but I mean, it? I watch porns from time to time, Some, uh, of course, but everybody does it, right? Yeah. yeah. And maybe the only thing is that... Um, I'm a party girl and I like adventures uh, and I'm also a writer. So I like feeling that my life is like a character of a book. Mm. So sometimes when I go to parties and I, you know, I get a bit drunk, I don't know. I want to go on sexual adventures, like going to a field in winter in the middle of the night uh, or going to a cemetery um Ending up in hell probably when I die, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, but what makes you describe yourself as vanilla? Is it? I mean, because if you're, especially if you're exploring with different genders, like a lot of people would argue, well, that in itself is is not vanilla, or kind of shying away from monogamy isn't vanilla. But is it that you feel like you're you you're not kinky you don't need props or something like well what is it that makes you say that yeah probably the fact that I live in Berlin <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if you or any of the listener has ever been in Berlin uh but Berlin is pretty full-on and hardcore on <laughs> sex <laughs> right everybody here is experimenting uh, everybody's going to BDSM parties or everybody's trying really conform sexual practices and that's why when I hear what my friends are doing I just look at myself and I just think actually I'm pretty chilled (laughs) (laughs) nothing special (laughs) well you say that you know at the age that you are that you still feel like you're kind of unformed do you do you think that maybe 10 years from now you would answer that question differently uh, yeah, maybe. But I also think that this depends on the fact that I that my sexual life started pretty late. Because, mm. uh, yes, my my first time was when I was 21. And it's extremely late. Uh, I had experimented with women uh, a couple of years before that when I was 17, 18. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, I guess that when you start so late, then you just mature later as well. Yeah. But also, Starting my sexual life so late um, probably influenced my decision of becoming a sex worker as well. Because when I was younger, I had all these romantic ideals on my sexual life. But then I waited for so long that at 21, it didn't have such an important meaning anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's why for me, even now, you know, having sex with a client is not such a big deal because sex lost its you know romantic idea for me mm. so is it- that doesn't mean uh, that doesn't mean that it cannot be romantic of right. course I can still enjoy the magic of it but uh, it's not necessarily romantic for me yeah so when it comes to having sex with clients though is it very different for you physically um, then having it with a, a partner that you, you choose that's a romantic partner or otherwise in your personal life? Like, how are the, the two experiences different for you? 
Um, so it's a bit sad to say this, but we're not really different because my sexual partners, um, I'm not saying that I didn't really like them that much because I did, but at the same time, I, you know, I was still a mentality that tells women that they have to be submissive, submissive and that they cannot express their, uh, needs and wishes during sex actually living my sexual experiences in a really passive way I mostly didn't like didn't like it but I never told anything to my partner yeah and that's why I don't know with clients there was not much of a big difference the difference was that I was getting paid so I was happy about it (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, and then, of course, the older I grew, the more I understood that I have to learn to voice my needs and what I like. And so my sexual, my private sexual life developed in a different way. And now I started enjoying it much more. Mm. And now it is totally different than with clients. Because, of course, with clients, um, you do establish your boundaries. But you're still doing it for money, you know. Right. It's not going to be the time of your life. <laughs> yeah. Do you have female clients? Um, I never had female clients um, for sex, but I had female clients in the strip club. Yeah. So I did give love dances to uh, females, but yeah, never had sex with a female client. And so... I mean, I I remember when I did strip, there was, um, I mean, it was sexual, you know, I mean, sexual in the sense of like you as a performer, it's a sexy experience, you know, it, do you, is that part of the appeal for you? Like why you continue to do it? Do you kind of get off on doing it? Um, so I actually love this, um, performativity of stripping, Um, especially because, uh, when I was a teenager, oh, this is so stereotypical by the way, <laughs> but I was the ugly teenager, you know, <laughs> sorry to say that, sorry to fall into the stereotype, but I was the ugly teenager. And so, uh, nobody looked at me and, and then I, I grew up and I actually became hot. <laughs> and also, um, when I moved to Berlin, I realized that I, I did not have to be ashamed Uh, of my body and of me not being skinny because in Italy women are usually really skinny and people judge a lot if you're not so my self-confidence was really so low when I was living in Italy and then I moved to Berlin and I discovered this liberal open-minded world and when I started stripping it helped me a lot with my self-confidence I started feeling hot And that's why even when I give lap dances, sometimes I'm not really focused on the customer. I'm focused on myself. (laughs) I'm like, oh, I'm so hot. (laughs) That makes sense to me. But it's funny to hear you say that most women in in Italy are skinny. I think the States, we look at it and, you know, we think of like Sophia Loren and, and just, you know, and all the pasta and the carb heavy diet. And it's just like, in our minds, I think it's like Italy is just filled with these voluptuous sirenesque women, you know, like it, it's kind of counter to that to think that they're all skinny. Oh, 
Because that's old school, you know, like, so, you know, what you've mentioned, that was uh, some years ago, but I guess my generation, uh, women are really achieving these like skinny, skinny models. And also I'm from the North. Uh, I come from uh, a city that is close to Milan and, you know, it's the fashion capital and everything. So uh, I would say in the South, of Italy, women are a bit curvier than in the north. Yeah, huh. good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, w- what is your like? How do you take care of yourself sexually? Are you someone who masturbates? Do you like? Is your focus mostly on you know um, sexual interactions with other people? Like, um, I mean, of course, I masturbate, <laughs> and um, what so. I have to say, lately, I've been so busy, you know, having two jobs and having university. And then I also take dance classes. So I guess that this also uh, compensates uh, when I have lack of uh, sexual life. (laughs) (laughs) When um, when I'm frustrated, (laughs) I just divert all my attention on uh, physical exercise and activities. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I don't know, I'm pretty good with my fingers. <laughs> and in Berlin, it's also really good, uh, really easy to find um, sexual partners or one night stands because it's full of uh, techno clubs that also organize uh, fetish parties, fetish nights where you can just go and have sex there or find a sexual partner. Um, so yeah, you can just go there and find somebody. But see, that doesn't sound very vanilla to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Berlin. Everybody does. <laughs> In comparison, I, I understand. I get it. So, <laughs> so we were introduced because... Um, we're both, uh, you know, working in support with the Black Sex Workers Collective that's kind of... Uh, centered mostly in the States, even though their founder is in Berlin. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Like what appealed to you about the Black Sex Workers Collective when Aquinos did reach out to you? What was what was the, the proposal? Like how did she appeal to you? Yeah, well, because um, first of all, their kind of activism, of course, is different because uh, since they're based in the U.S., the problematics uh, concerning the legislation are uh, really different. Right. I think that um, in Germany, uh, the legislation, well, it's still problematic, but it's way better than the one in, in the US. And But that doesn't mean that we don't have common goals. And that's why when Aquinos reached out and told me about the project, uh, we were, well, I told my colleagues and we were all really excited about it. Um, the idea of getting two collectives together and fighting for a common goal, uh, especially now in this period um, where people are discussing about things like police brutality, for example, mm. institutionalized violence. Um, it doesn't matter where you are. Sex workers are a marginalized community and that are highly vulner- vulnerable to police brutality. And that's why self-organizing in collectives and relating to each other, collaborating with each other, organizing events uh, together, uh, that's extremely important for improving our working conditions uh, and also fight against uh, stigma. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we we are hoping that events like this that involve uh, many sex workers from all over the world and many allies, we hope that these kind of events are going to uh, uh, be organized more often. Yeah. In the pandemic, I mean, what is the relief program with from your government been like? So uh, the German government gave uh, some financial help to freelancers. And uh, sex workers here are usually registered as freelancers. Um, but the problem is that if you're not registered as a sex worker uh, because you didn't register because of fear of discrimination or stigma, uh, whatever, any reason, then you cannot apply for anything. Mm. Uh, the You could apply for unemployment money, like the general unemployment money. And Germany is not like the US. They didn't say that sex workers could not apply. So that was good. Um, yeah, but the problem here in Germany was the narrative about sex work because they started calling us super spreaders and they imposed a ban on sex work because it goes against the social distancing measures. Right. But um, what's a bit, I don't know, uh, outrageous is that apps like Tinder were still operating and people were still meeting up recreationally uh, for having sex uh, via apps like Tinder. So it's like, okay, we understand and it's a, it's a dangerous uh, pandemic, but why do you stop prevent sex workers from working and you allow people to have sex uh, via Tinder or whatever? And even a lot of police officers were pretending to be clients um, who wanted to make a booking so that they would understand who was still working and they would then find them. But did you feel comfortable? I mean, are you still doing sex work now? Do you feel comfortable with the pandemic? Does it concern you? Um, I'm not working at the moment. Because, um, um, so um, strip clubs, some of them are closed, some of them are open. Um, but I don't really feel, I don't know, safe. Yeah. You know, you're in the end of the day, you're dancing naked on so many strangers every night. I don't know. Um, also, I'm also writing my master thesis. So I told myself, okay, you can use this situation as a break to focus on your master thesis and then when everything is over you're gonna start working again right yeah but I, I know also i know also know that i'm privileged because uh i used to have a day job so i saved some money i had savings and i can live off my savings now but i know that not everybody can afford it so some colleagues or mine actually don't have that much choice yeah work risking their own health but are you are you registered as a, a stripper as a freelancer? Were you able to get unemployment? So I'm registered as a dancer. I didn't put a stripper in the registration as a as a professional dancer. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I was not able to get anything because I am a student as well. But students cannot students cannot really apply because <laughs> they think that you get scholarships, right. which I don't. Yeah, it's frustrating. Mm -hmm. So what as, you know, 
a person in your position and your privilege, your experience, all of the things, like what is it that's most important to you for people to know about who you are and what you do? Um, well, this is a really hard question. <laughs> so who, what do you mean by you? Me personally or yeah. as, as a collective? I add you personally. Okay. Uh, well, oh, this is such a hard question. <laughs> um, an important thing. Um, well, I consider myself an activist for uh, sex workers' rights, and I really hope that stigma and discrimination against sex workers uh, will end at some point and uh, what's really important for me is to talk to people about my job uh, try not to care about their judgment in order to normalize the topic because I think that the more we talk about sex work the more people are going to accept it so yeah this is an important thing about myself I think and yeah, I also consider myself as a representative of the women who are tired of social norms on their sexuality and who are tired of society telling them what to do with their bodies and with sexuality. Yeah. I mean, judging from the manifesto and the powerful words that are in there and, and speaking with you and, and other sex workers, women all over the place, I mean, why is sex work important to you? Because my my feeling looking at it from the outside is, you know, because I agree, like all the projects that I do are motivi- motivated by this desire to destroy stigma around all types of sexuality, not just sex work, but, you know, people's questioning about their orientation or gender identity yes. or, you know, the things that they're into, like if they're into kink, if they're not, you know, if they don't want to have sex at all, just, you know, really normalizing all of these things so that none of it ceases. Um, well, that I'm using the, the wrong language, but that all of it just ceases to be taboo it ceases to be something that we don't talk about like if you know like you said the more we talk about these things the more normalized it is the more comfortable people become with it but the role of sex work like why do you think it's a fundamentally important thing um to exist and to exist in a a free way and without stigma like what what is the the like the social impact of it i guess yeah i think Uh, There are two main social uh, uh, impacts uh, that sex work can contribute. First of all, um, sex work is a really important surviving tool for marginalized communities. These that usually are experienced, are discriminated against in in society, that is uh, trans people, uh, women, uh, or um, people of color. Mm. Uh, and sex work is a really good way to transfer wealth from usually, no, not just white men, but you know, from usually privileged categories like men to transfer wealth from them to marginalized communities like trans people or women or whatever. And the second uh, thing is that sex work is really like a slogan, it 
it mm, tells people, please stop, stop your uh, morality, stop telling us what to do with our bodies, stop putting norms on sexuality and just let people live their sexualities the way they, they want. Yeah. Why sex work becomes a subversive act in a way because it goes, it stands against and it goes against every norm imposed by society on sexuality. Right. In your ideal, you know, hope for the future or um, like what, what would you like to see change you know, where you are in Berlin or globally, but like, wh- how would you like sex work to be seen or sex in general? Like what, what is your ideal state of the world? Well, just more acceptance. <laughs> uh, I would just like people to stop, stop telling other people what to do and stop judging. Yeah. And also accept the fact that Sex and sexuality can also uh, can also be experienced in a commercial context. That money can be involved with it, and that people can make a living of it, and there is nothing wrong with it. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Um, what am I going? Am I going with this? Well, where do you see yourself in, say, five or ten years? Do you? Is this something that you would like to? be doing until you retire or is it something that is like a stepping stone on the way to something else like how how do you see sex work tying into your life you know further down the road the older you get i I think i'll keep on doing it for as long as i can because um what i really like about sex work is its flexibility Mm -hmm. I am not the kind of person who likes doing the same job every day, eight hours a day and having to ask for your, ask your boss when you can take all holidays and things like this. So with sex work, you, you basically decide when to work, uh, where to work as well. Mm. And I really like this flexibility and I like sex work gives me a certain freedom that other jobs wouldn't give me. So I'd like to uh, continue with it for as long as I can. And I really hope that in some years, our collective is going to grow bigger and bigger and that I'm going to focus more on that rather than keep on depending on managers. Yeah. The sex clubs that, or the strip clubs rather, are they mostly run by men? Are there any that are run by women or trans people or... Um, like I guess more indie or more um, independent clubs that are kind of out of the norm as far as the management goes? So uh, usually, yeah, clubs are run by men. There are some clubs run by women. Um, But the fact that a club is run by a woman doesn't mean that it's necessarily better Mm -hmm. (laughs) because women, female managers can be as bad because I think that the problem with uh, with management is that there is so much money involved. Strip clubs make so much money and people get really greedy. Mm. So it doesn't matter whether man or woman, people just really change when there is so much money involved. Yeah. I don't know of any club uh, with trans uh, managers because, you know, it's still something that society doesn't uh, really accept, you know. Yeah. Um, and even like trans dancers, for example, 
at least in mainstream, mainstream strip clubs, uh, they're usually not accepted. Because even if customers are into that, it's something that they want to hide because it's not accepted. So they wouldn't do it in front of their friends. You know, they wouldn't go to a strip club to see a trans dancer in front of their friends. Right. They would rather do it privately. So, yeah. Even in Berlin, that's kind of surprising. <laughs> yeah, even in Berlin, yes. Yeah. Is there any consideration with the with the Berlin Stripper Collective of maybe someday, you know, you collectively opening your own club? Oh, yes. <laughs> we are talking about it so much. <laughs> we, we are like we are like teenagers, you know, we meet up with like some tea or some wine and we start dreaming about our future when we are opening our strip clubs where everybody's welcome, every gender, every race. <laughs> so we are we are talking about it, but um, it's hard because you need a lot of money and you also need to, I don't know, mm, uh, if, if other strip clubs in the city are known and established, then it's also hard to get customers. Right. Uh, but I guess that if we do something different, if we open, if we open an alternative club uh, that offers something different and not come into the normal social standards, then hopefully we're also going to get a good clientele. Yeah. Let's hope for the future. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would love to go to that club. <laughs> I hope you, yeah. you do open that. I hope you open many like that. That would be wonderful. When you do events, are yeah. are they inclusive? Like the same way that you have this, you know, dream for this club that welcomes everybody and, and features everybody. Is that what your events are like? Yeah, exactly. Also, the, um, the reason why collective is that we wanted... Uh, a platform that gave a voice to um, strippers who are usually not welcomed in mainstream mainstream strip clubs. Yeah. So um, trans or anyways, I don't know, and dancers of color uh, who usually don't feel comfortable or they're not even hired sometimes in mainstream strip clubs. They have our collective as a platform. We try to organize our events as diverse as possible. Yeah. Is there <laughs> any way that people can donate to the, the Berlin Stripper Collective specifically? Uh, yes. Um, so we opened our Patreon now uh, where we upload um, uh, content like photos, but not only we upload videos and even texts written by us. Uh, our pictures are uncensored. So you can support us uh, with our Patreon, for example. Mm -hmm. Or anyways, if you just want to Google uh, Burning Strippers Collective, you find us on social media and there you can be updated with uh, our events. And yeah, just follow us. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. And thank you again for being so flexible. Uh, no worries. It, it was fun. It was a pleasure. <laughs> All right. So there's our episode for this week. I just want to apologize to um, this episode is publishing a few days later than we usually do. Rest assured, they will continue to come out weekly. And, you know, fingers crossed, it will be on a Thursday, but life happens. Anyway, um, in the episode notes, I've linked to the Berlin Stripper Collective's website, their Patreon and Instagram, and you can get more links to other things um, they're involved with on all of those platforms. But I encourage you to check them out and, you know, read that manifesto for yourself. Uh, please be kind to sex workers. Please be accepting of yourself and others. And I will talk to you again next week. Take care. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Sex Communication. Please subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcast. And if you'd like more information about the show, visit us online at sexcompod.com. That's S-E-X-C-O-M-P-O-D.com. If you'd like to be a part of the show, please email me at sexcompod at gmail.com. I am always looking for new sex audio and people to interview. It could be you.